All right. Let's uh, pray together, guys. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you so much this day, Lord, for sustaining us, for preserving us. Lord, we recognize that every breath and every beat of our hearts is a, a gift from you. You are the giver of life. You sustain life. And you are the one that takes life in your perfect sovereignty. And Father, this evening, as we would consider just a branch, of really, of sanctification and uh, peculiar sins that might be in our hearts, Lord, that we need to mortify, that we might cultivate the fruits of the Spirit, we pray that you would bless this time. We pray that you would be glorified. We pray that we would be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. We confess we desperately need that. We, we are encouraged on the one hand as we see that we are something that we once were not. And yet, Lord, we see how far we had to go. And so, Lord, we look to you for our growth and uh, for your blessing, even now. In Jesus' name, amen. We're not going to really be in the confession, but just to begin our time, since we are general, our our study in general is on the confession, I want to read of sanctification, chapter 13, paragraph 1, for us. And... um, You have it in the back of your dutiful Reformation Bible, right? Okay, all right. So, let me just read this for us. Uh, Paragraph 1. They who are united to Christ, effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, though the virtue of Christ's death, through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, are also further sanctified, really and personally, through the same virtue, by his word and spirit dwelling in them. For the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified, and they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of all true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And then if you could read section two for us. Oh, <laughs> Okay. You can pass it to somebody who's... Uh... Um, this sanctification is throughout the whole man, yet imperfect in his life. There abides still some remnants of corruption in every part. Whence arise a continual... In... Sorry. Irre- irreconcilable. I was like, what? <laughs> irreconcilable war in the flesh, lusting against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. So essentially, no, yeah, just two. That's good. So essentially, what this paragraph is saying, and of course, this follows justification and adoption, what we call these saving graces. What this is saying is that those who have been effectually called and are saved will actually be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. That is, they actually do grow in their grow in holiness. This is something that we work out on our end, that God is working within us. And so we have responsibility. And justification, do we have any role in that? Justification? You're right. No. Whose role is that? That's God the Father in heaven. He justifies us. He declares us righteous. And adoption, that's one of those graces that comes to those who are regenerated. We're adopted into the family of God. That's something that God does. Um, and then sanctification, though, there's this, this idea of the... The, the lust being weakened and more and more killed or mortified, the old language there, and then the, the saving graces are more and more cultivated. And then the section two of the three says, the sanctification is throughout the whole man, yet imperfect in this life. There abides still some remnants of corruption in every part, whence arises a continual and irreconcilable war of the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So those of us who've been in Christ for any length of time know what this flesh and spirit battle is. You know, there's times where we have like Pilgrim's Progress, these mountain time, mountaintop experiences where it just seems like we've, we've killed all, m- most of the sins that we know. Boy, I'm, I'm more holy than I've ever been before. And then let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. The Lord humbles, um, from our proud heart, the Lord allows us to stumble and remind us of our corruption. And then times where it just seems like the flesh is getting the upper hand. And 
And so the confession is, is saying that that's normal. And what the confession is stating is that sinless perfectionism is not what the Bible teaches. And then I think we should read three since we've already read the two. Massimo, now that you're, <laughs> you're, you're able, could, would you mind? In which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part does overcome. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, pressing after an heavenly life in evangelical obedience to all the command which Christ as head and king in his word has prescribed to them. So, and... Actually, what I should have said in two is that where it says that this affects the whole man, what that means is not just external behavior, but actually our hearts are changed, right? Our dispositions, our thinking is changed. We're thinking biblically. If we're thinking biblically and our hearts are changed, changed our actions will be different. If those things aren't right, it's just outward reformation or hypocrisy or jumping through the hoops to put put a show on as though your heart's changed. And then three is such an encouragement, isn't it? What you just read. This continual supply and strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ. And one of those my favorite scenes in Pilgrim's Progress, since I mentioned it earlier and I was thinking about it earlier today, is an interpreter's house. Everybody, some, some of you may not be that familiar with that. That's early in the pilgrimage. The interpreter is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Shows Pilgrim seven things that will be vital for him to remember through his entire pilgrimage. And he takes him to a fire, a, a fireplace, and the devil is there pouring buckets of water on the flame, but it's not going out. And so Christian asks, what means this? And he says, come over here and look on the other side. Christ is pouring the oil of his spirit upon the flame so that it cannot be extinguished. What's the lesson? Satan will seek to stamp us out. Satan will seek to to put out the flame of our profession and all of that. But the spirit of Christ, there's a continual supply of that. And Bunyan pictures that beautifully in that classic allegory. And so the regenerate part does overcome and the saints do grow in grace, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. So all that's just a kind of a a general introduction to what I want to look at. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, of course, we have the, the deeds of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. Familiar text, of course, just two verses before. Um, is the the verse 517 that says the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh of which the confession quoted and then verse 19 to 21 are the deeds of the flesh and Mark could you read that for us sure now the works of the flesh are evident sexual morality, impurity, sensuality idolatry, sorcery um, enmity, strife, jealousy fits of anger rivalries, dissensions, divisions um, envy, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. No, that's good. So, okay, of those, I haven't counted them, but of the long list of deeds of the flesh, um, how many of these would be, just roughly speaking, how many of these would be evident to somebody looking on? So, for, for ex- yeah, I'm just asking uh, if, if uh, we're in Galatians 5, guys. So, of like sensuality, um, immorality, drunkenness, dissensions and disputes, well, outbursts of anger. The majority, the majority of them would be seen, like if you were, were given to one of these sins, we would eventually see that in you, right? Now, what about the ones that maybe are not manifested initially? But they're on the inside. Jealousy. Jealousy. Mm-hmm. Uh, envy. Envy. <clears throat> I mean, idolatry could be. It depends. Idolatry could be too. Yeah, there's there's some of the, even sensuality in a sense could be. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. coarse sexual immorality is the idea, but um, but it's envy that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And envy, you may say, well, why in the world would we talk about that? Well. 
Um, hopefully by the end of our time together, you may realize and think that, you know what, there's times when I'm envying and that's sinful and, and it can lead to other sins. And so we want to just, as it were, pull back the layers of our heart, examine ourselves as we go through and look at the biblical examples that God has been pleased to give us of the danger of this sin. How would you describe envy? That's basically another word for coveting, isn't it? It's similar to coveting, isn't it? It's similar. Well, it's a discontent of what someone else um, either has or something that um, I think maybe the difference with. Um, what did you say, jealousy? Coveting. Oh, coveting. Is that it's like not just um, wanting it, but it's like mm-hmm. you kind of want either harm to that person or you want them mm-hmm. to not be able... Like, it's not just like, oh, they have, like, a car that you want, but it's like, oh, that person should crash their car because... Mm-hmm. Like, and it implies, like, a, a sense of anger or, like, resentment towards mm-hmm. them because of mm-hmm. Yeah, I've yeah. Picture the you know nine year old whose neighbor gets a brand new bike uh, for Christmas, and you know the other nine year old got a toy car or something, a matchbox, or I don't even know if they make those anymore. That neighbor and that kid just kind of you know he's riding it or whatever, but in his heart he's saying, "I hope he wrecks that thing. I hope he splits his head open like I did when I was five, um, you know, riding your bike and stuff." And so it is. It's so that's an excellent definition, Chris. And and we're discontent of the advantages and enjoyed by others was the definition that, that I had come up with. And, and even one of the lexicons has, as its definition, a state of ill will towards someone because of some real or presumed advantage experienced by such a person. And sometimes, and if you think about this, and maybe I'm jumping way ahead, but sometimes envy can be about something that you think that person has. What would an example of that be? Well, you could think that somebody is very wealthy just because mm-hmm. they have a car, but they're in a ton of debt, and you just think, oh, they have their perfect family and kids, and they're all wealthy, they got their, you know, picket fence, and everything is going well, but, you know, you have no idea, maybe they're like just totally in debt, and yeah. you don't, there's so many things you just have no idea about. That's excellent. Other ideas? About Chris's same example, um, but so they're in debt. Maybe they're not in debt, and they have everything the world could possibly want, and you think, they have it all. They must be extremely happy, but ultimately they're in turmoil because that's not bringing any lasting peace to them. And so... That's a presumed, you know, and, and envy over something presumed. Um, the word a lot over um, the you see for relationships. It's very easy um, to look at maybe, especially if you're single. Maybe you see and you're like, oh, look at this married couple that's <laughs> But then you don't know it. Like maybe you're on the brink of divorce, or you know, different stuff like that. Or you see some like a glimpse, and it looks so picture perfect, and it. You could presume that, oh, I bet it's like this. Yeah, that's right. So it is. So there's that, that presumed aspect of it. The word only occurs nine times, at least the noun, the verb occurs once. It's um, The word occurs in such uh, context, which we'll look at, is the Jewish leaders crucifying Christ because of envy. What would they have been envious about? More followers. Well, uh, the popularity, the acceptance, uh, perhaps. Um, I mean, I think also they were envious of his wisdom because his knowledge of Scripture was superior than theirs, and uh, they could see that, but mm-hmm. they wanted it. Yeah. What about loyalty? What is uh, loyalty? Loyalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely undermined most of what they said. And he, remember, that if you study the Gospels again and again, it says... And they wondered, they were amazed, and the word really is like being perplexed because he was one that taught with authority. So he carried an authority, of course, coming by God, being sent by God. 
that the others that the that the Pharisees did not have, and so the people recognized that, and even the Pharisees themselves recognized that, and so there was that that envy. And so I think this, you know, this is one of the as we looked at the deeds of the flesh, you know, all of these, so many of these are just okay. That would obviously that would show up eventually, right? I mean, maybe you can hide it for a while, but but some of these sins, and it's closely related to jealousy, but envy is like a cancer. A rapidly spreading cancer. It could be a brother-in-law. It could be a step-parent. It could be, I mean, a co-worker. Somebody being promoted. You know that when you know that I really should have got this, but this other person who has way less experience got it, and you can just begin to allow envy to fester. And ultimately, I think that envy, if it's stewed on and all of that, and not mortified, and that's why we want to talk about this, can lead to abusive speech and even murder <laughs> okay. some, some of the manuscripts have murder uh, for I'm that at the, uh, um, in the uh, Galatians yeah y'all know verse 21 yeah yeah, yeah. there's a little, um, little uh, reference there saying that some, some manuscripts have murder and the idea is that it can lead to murder here so so when was the last time, and you know, we don't have to necessarily take a poll because I think if we think long enough and hard enough, we can all come away with a time. I was envy last week, last year, 10 years ago, or last yesterday, or whatever, but is there a situation of where you found yourself becoming envious and, um, and then you caught yourself and you mortified that, that you want to share? Can you repeat that, So, uh, have you ever fallen into the sin of envy? And if so, would you share an example? That's a better way of phrasing it. Of course. I think in one of the examples is um, kind of the same, the Pharisaic example I could apply to myself. You see a teacher that is teaching, you know, with authority, and he knows his scriptures. Uh, maybe he's a very young man. And I myself was like, oh, Wish I had, you know, I was like that, you know, things like that. <laughs> so I think that, and that, and that would be something. It's not a physical thing that they have, like a car or anything, but it would just be a, a, actually a gifting from God. You know, mm-hmm. so you know, that's actually, you know, it's actually an even worse kind of envy because it's not a particular possession, but it's all, it's something that's related to a spiritual life. So I think I have experienced that. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Other examples. Um, let's say a uh, guy from my old shop. He's deployed right now, and uh, you know I see him post on Facebook. He he's a lance corporal, so he's two ranks under me. Um, but I see him post on Facebook that you know he, he won a couple of awards while he's out deployed and is getting meritoriously promoted. And I'm envious of his, or you know I catch myself being envious of his uh, situation and and you know getting those things that. Man, it would have been nice to get while I was out there, you know. <laughs> um, you know, and I, you know, I stopped myself and I'm like, man, good, good for you, and sent him a message saying, you know, good for you, and you'll make a good corporal. Um, but like, it's it's hard to to get past that, mm-hmm. that. That man, he's in a better position than I am. It seems. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> now, then, you know, some of that's kind of nor our. You know, we're just we're we're depraved. We still have remaining sins, so. Mm-hmm. You know, that is our natural, our flesh's natural inclination, but it's how quick do we catch ourselves. No, no, it's not about that. You know, it's God's in control of my life, and he's been so good to me, far better to me than what I deserve, you know, and reminding ourselves of that. Other examples? Maybe in a school, college context, you see somebody just squandering their weekends and you know, um, not studying and somehow, you know, they pass, maybe they get promoted or, or you know, somehow they, they pass and you're, you're working hard to make the same grade or whatever, you know, um, and work. I already talked about that example. Um, but e- even in the ministry, um, you know, we go to these pastors conferences and, you know, since sometimes you, you, you know, you, you, you know, you're sharing with, I mean, the, most of the conferences that we go to are not the big, huge, you know, uh, with the mega church guys, but still, you know, that sometimes that comes up. Like, how's your church doing? You know, 
you know, the other churches that have been blessed with a facility or a building and all that. And sometimes you can become envious, but maybe jealous, I don't know. But it's you, you still you catch yourself, no, God is in control. He's got us exactly where he wants us, you know. Now, why is this sin? Well, actually, it can even be about looks. I wish I had Mark's. My, I wish I had. Look, I can't even make it. It hurts because my arm's broken. I try. <laughs> Uh, you know, I wish I had Mark's arms, you know, <laughs> or looks. I wish I was thin. I wish I was taller. I wish I was, you know, shorter for some people, you know, you know that kind of stuff. It can even be right. But why is this sin so dangerous? I think because it, like you said, if you leave it in there and let it fester, yeah. that starts to strip away what you're supposed to be in the Word, growing in the Word, because it consumes you if you let it. That's right. It'll start going this way instead of this way. That's right. It's like you said, the end result can be murder. You know? And so um, that's, you know, like you said, stuff being built up, bitterness, you know, being built up, and you rehashing that over and over and over and over again to the point where you feel like you know you want to endanger somebody you know mm-hmm. um, are you in in fact make them make them to be the reason why you're not successful yeah, yeah that's good Steve and you know it's even if let's say that you can keep envy between you and your heart and stew about it and not ever let it come out of your mouth or your actions and harming that person let's say you can do that how productive are you going to be in the kingdom of God and living the Christian life? You're in a state of discontent. Your joy is robbed. The Christian life becomes a drudgery. It's like dragging a 50-pound rock with your right ankle, you know, with every step you make. There's no progress. There's very little progress. If anything, there's regress, you know, backsliding, because you're allowing this thing to fester. You've taken God off the throne and said... I'm envious. God, that this situation should not be like this. It should be like the way I'm thinking. <laughs> you're, you, you can see how this this really just you know this this is a sin that goes right to the very throne of God, and that's why the uh, author of the proverb says, "Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life." And so we need to know our hearts. We need to know the subtleties of our heart, the propensities to these heart-type sins. We need to identify these things. We need to take these things to God in prayer and in repentance and confession and, and asking God, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any hurtful way in me. Memorizing that part of Psalm 139 and praying that, that the Lord by His Spirit might open our eyes to be able to see into the recesses of our heart. That we might see these things. And then to realize, as Christ says, that out of the heart come all of these wickedness, right? Mark 7. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes, it's what comes out of his heart. And envy will eat away at you and if you don't mortify it you will do something you regret whether it's an outburst of anger or whatever they'll nag at you until eventually you if you don't mortify it you could you know do something harmful to somebody so what i want to do with, with the rest of our time is look at biblical examples to just drive this point home for us that you know if we can have the t- better tools to mortify just one deed of the flesh in a better, more efficient and thorough way, I think our time together will be spent. You know, we can all say that it's been profitable. So let's turn to Genesis 4. Let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> Genesis 4, verses 4, or I guess 3 to 8 to get the broader context in. Uh, Marlon, could you read that? For us, please, when you find it. Four to eight. Uh, three to eight. Three. Genesis four to eight. Uh, this is about Cain and Abel. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. 
And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. For, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and they when they and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Pretty clear passage, doesn't really need a whole lot of commentary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the key verse, verses four, um, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. And so Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Verse seven, the end of it there, it's desire. Sin is crouching at the door and it's desire is for you, but you must master it. In other words, this desire to sin is crouching at the door. You've got to put that to death. You've got to get rid of that. Genesis 37, we see with the brothers of Joseph, a familiar passage here. We're not even out of the first book of the Bible, right? (laughs) And, of course, this takes up some ten chapters. We're not going to... obviously go through all of that, but just perhaps uh, chapter 37. <clears throat> For the sake of time, we won't. Um, uh, let's read verses 3 to 5. Chris, can you get that? And then verse 20. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his other, than his all his brothers. So they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And then verse twenty. Now then, come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. So his brothers, it says that what they hated him. Why? Because their father loved him more. It was it that their father didn't love them? No. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a lot that could be said for loving one child more and all of that, but that still doesn't justify uh, this behavior. Let us kill him. And throw him into one of the pits. James, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's circumstances like that. that I mean, he's got everything right. He calls his family together. He recounts all of his riches, his children. And I just, I've got it all except for this one thing. This one thing. That Mordecai does not bow to me like everyone else does. And of course... Uh, it's the wife that gives <laughs> this idea that ultimately backfires. And you think of other biblical examples where the wife gives advice that isn't very wise. Jezebel to Ahaz. Jezebel. Yeah. To Ahab. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who else? Her, um, Job's wife. Job's wife. Job's wife. Yeah. Curse God and die. Right, but anyway, we're not saying anything negative about wives. Just saying that there's a parallel here, so don't don't take that the wrong way. It's just that sometimes you know, it's not just there's a Miriam that in Aaron go against Moses. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it's not that's not his wife though. No, that's his sister. So anyway, you see the you see the setup here, and so all of this does not satisfy, and so he has the gallows built. You know, fifty seventy five feet high and then let's skip ahead to uh seven let's see well six six to ten um we have haman came to the king and said what is to be done for the man who the king desires to honor and haman said to himself whom would the king desire to honor more than me then haman said to the king 
for the man whom the king desires to honor. Let a royal robe which be put on him that the king is worn, and a horse on which the king is ridden, and on whose head the royal crown has been placed. Let a robe be placed on him, and so forth and so on. And then he says, Then the king said to Haman, of course Haman's giving these suggestions to the king, Take quickly the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting in the king's gate, and do not fall short in anything that you have said. And so you have this beautiful situation of Haman, just, again, he's, just, he's already given to pride because he won't bow down to me. And then, of course, when the king says, what should be done for the man who, he's thinking, well, of course, I'm second or third or whatever, you know, governor in the court, whatever it is, but it's got to be me. And so he just doesn't, doesn't hold back with all the blessings that come. And so the king says, take quickly and do that for Mordecai. So, anyway, summarizing a whole book of the Bible in mere moments is, is uh, tough. But, uh, and so, of course, uh, Esther comes pleading to the king to save the Jews who Haman wants to see exterminated. And Esther says in 7.6, a foe, I'm sorry, the, or five, the king, Adiarzes asked the Queen Esther, who is he and where is he who would presume to do this? This is after she's explained that he wants to annihilate the Jews. And Esther says, a foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman who was there. Then Haman became terrified before the king. And so as it goes on, um, Verse 10 is the punchline, the end of seven. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, which he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger was subdued. Mm -hmm. So ultimately his plan completely backfired, didn't it? So what about that situation? Any thoughts or comments? It's an interesting account, isn't it? (laughs) Well, it just shows that, you know, if you're not satisfied with, you think that, okay, I want to have all this, and God's put you right where he wants you and you're saying I want this then you you know it's going to backfire you're going to miss out on so many he puts you right where he wants you you right trusting in his sovereignty right trusting in his providence his care his preservation of you it doesn't matter like how like I think the I guess the danger with the envy is just you know it's not it is the world sense more subtle, not as like, oh, if you're committing adultery, that's more like, even the world would be like, okay, that's wrong. But envy, like, you don't hear like rebuke against envy mm-hmm. in the world. And like, the lie is that, you know, well, the disgust is that you're not satisfied, you're not content. And it, the example shows that even if you have so, like, so much, the amount, even the amount of things that you have, uh, it doesn't give you that content. Like, the same discontent, whether you have a ton or nothing, is still that disgust toward telling God that whatever you've given me, whether it's a lot or a little, that's not enough. And look at this person has something that I haven't gotten. It's like, it's really just so, like, I deserve better. And God, you have denied me. Mm-hmm. You are not a good God because you look at what this person has that I don't and look what I'm going through. And it's just like, really, it's just, you know, it's easy to kind of like maybe not even think about it, you know, and you see how like with the other brothers, you couldn't even talk to Joseph, you know, mm-hmm. in his presence. It's just like, you're like, oh, you don't think it's a, the danger is because you don't think it's so, such a big deal, but that sin leads to death. Mm-hmm. And it like, when you see it, like with this example, you can see it a little more clearly, just mm-hmm. how wicked it is. Yeah. But a lot of times in our, our flesh, of course, oh, that's not that bad. Like, don't really search your heart about that. There's bigger things to worry about than something that you're truly right. content, like, and what you're really saying to God in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, you mentioned uh, even um, context with Saul and, and David. You know, yeah. You mentioned that already. Okay. No, I didn't mention that, but um, I have that in my conclusion, which I'm we're not oh, going to get to. But you no, know, that's fine. But go. I mean, you can summarize it. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like when when David had come back from war. You know, and they got the tambourines out there and they celebrating. 
Saul killed his thousand, David killed his ten thousand, you know. And it's in that moment that, you know, the celebration that Saul grabbed the spear, you know, and was ready to kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, so sometimes if it's, like you were saying, if it's, if it's not dealt with, if it's not cut out, you know, it can lead to more and more sin. Yeah. It's bad enough that the sin is already there, but it can lead even to other sins that um, you can't really account for when when you're in that moment. Right. You know? And so while we're able to, to deal with it, um, we need to deal with it right away, keep short accounts and yeah. um, quickly um, deal with it. It's like in the book of Philippians, um, you know, the, one of the takeaways, it's not always, um, you know, it's, you know, I'll just cut to the chase. <laughs> you know, it's an epistle of joy, yes and amen, but it's also an epistle speaking of the sweet fellowship that the partnership that the Philippians had with Paul in prison. But the thing that reoccurs ten times in that book is phrone, it's the Greek word to how you think. And in other words, one of the takeaways that's not always communicated is to think biblically. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Think biblically. And if we're thinking biblically, we're not going to allow envy to be there very long. That's that's going to be mortified. Just like lusting after a woman is, a, you know, may happen in an instant, but you should, as mature Christian men, begin to mortify that, you know, as quick as you can, because you know it's going to be harder to mortify down the road. Um, in Mark fifteen, I'll just I'll just read it, um, verse ten. Mark 15, verse 8, sorry. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do. And Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? And notice the side comment, verse 10. For he was aware, that is, Pilate was aware, that the chief priests had handed Jesus over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd and asked him to release Barabbas for them instead. And answering again, Pilate said, Then what shall be done to, with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him. Mm-hmm. And so it was because of envy that they handed him over, and it led to murder. <laughs> Crucify him. Um, in James chapter 4, let's just turn there quickly. Steve will get to this eventually. <laughs> uh, we trust. But Steve, uh, verse 1 of and 2, if somebody could read that for us. James 4, 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Yeah. So you see this, this idea, it's, the NAS says you lust, the word is desire, it's, you know, that's a strong desire. Yeah, you lust, you do not have, so you commit murder. Uh, the NS says, you are envious and cannot obtain. So you what? You fight, mm-hmm. marital fights, spats, you know, arguments at work, whatever. Uh, and you quarrel. Oh, yeah, so you commit murder. And then you fight and quarrel. So it's a source of quarrels among you. And you do not have because you do not ask. So there you see right here, it's this. This pledge, these these things that wage war within us, and then Acts thirteen. We'll turn there, and we'll just have some final applications. We have this context of the Apostle Paul preaching. I believe this is one of his, in Acts thirteen, one of his longest um, uh, sermons recorded in the Book of Acts, but. Towards the just after that sermon, verses forty-four to forty-six. Uh, if somebody could jump on that and read that for us. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the message of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to oppose what Paul was saying by insulting him. Then Paul and Barnabas boldly said, "It was necessary that God's message be spoken to you first." 
But since you reject it and consider yourselves unworthy for eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Yeah, and then, of course, the quote from Isaiah 42, for I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles. Um, And then it says, when the Gentiles heard this, verse 48, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as has been appointed to eternal life believed. Mm -hmm. And so... They this big sermon, they come back the next Sabbath to hear the Jews are stirred up with what? Jealousy. <laughs> and uh, so there you have the, the parallel jealousy and envy. So by way of application, um, what are some ways that we can recognize envy uh, more easily if it comes to our hearts? First of all, I mean, we've, we've kind of identified it now. We've looked at some biblical examples. These biblical examples should be warnings to us. Um, none of them turned out pleasantly, <laughs> right? So what are some ways that we can... Uh, ways that we can preach the gospel to ourselves? Ways we can ask God to search us? I think there's a, a way... Um, oh, one more example of, like recognizing it um, what came to mind was the parable of the laborers mm. because um, oh, yeah, yeah. you know Jesus he gives this example of you know the man that hired the laborers mm. and they, they agreed on a day's wage at denarius and then um, you know after it goes into the day then he hires more and then it goes later into the day um, until like an, like an hour before the day's over he got the last group and then when he starts to pay him, he starts with the last group that, you know, has only been working for an hour or something. So he paid them a denarius, a full day's wage, the same that he was giving to the first people that had been working all day. And the people that had been working all day thought, oh, this is what they got, then what am I going to get? And they got paid the same. And so they grumbled, and uh, they, um, yeah, it says that... Uh, you know, they grumbled, and he said, "You know, is your eye envious because uh-huh, I am yeah. generous?" And um, for a long time, especially when I was a new Christian, I like that really bothered me. I'm like, why? How could you pay them? You know, like they earned so much more, and even though they got exactly what they agreed to, you know, they were angry because they that guy wanted to be generous and bless someone else. Yeah. And um, I think what is key for us recognizing the takeaway is that, that grumbling. Mm-hmm. Is that, that's a sign yeah. of a discontent. That's right. If, we, if our joy is not there, mm-hmm. we, we have a grumbling in our hearts, whether it comes outward, you know, there is a countenance. There is mm-hmm. a, well, I can't even talk with this person or be around them. Yeah. There's, you know, uh, that is a sign of that didn't, that inward discontent that we are not satisfied with whatever God has given. We're not praising Him because, really, so that's a way to um, mm-hmm. to kind of recognize where those things are starting. And then, you know, if we are grumbling at something, then to ask ourselves right then to search our hearts mm-hmm. and see, okay, what am I discontent about? Mm-hmm. If I'm not joyful, because we have, we deserve hell every day, so mm-hmm. if we're not joyful, what's keeping us from that joy that you know, is it envying something else, or is it some some other sin? Yeah, well, that's a good good connection to uh, contentment and a good example as well. And uh, is your eye envious? If I wanted to, yeah, that's that's good. Um, it go ahead. Sorry, no, I just I, there's one text that came to mind for me, and it gives kind of like a uh, what to do when you do notice that, or like, and it's mm-hmm. it's in the end of John when Jesus when Peter's saying, Lord, what is it about the man that man? You know, because he's talking about John. And, and Jesus says to him, um, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? Mm-hmm. Because Peter was envious. And then Jesus, after saying that, he says, you follow me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, he's, you know, when we recognize that, the solution is follow me. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, get back and like, well, I need to follow Jesus. Worry about your own discipleship yeah, right? and following the yeah. Lord. Yeah. You know, Paul, when he, so it, this is, the, the word actually occurs most frequently in the list of what the deeds of the flesh, like we began with Romans 1, 29 to 30, the manifestation of those that are totally depraved. Paul uses it in Titus 3, 3. And I'll just read it. It's, you don't have to turn there, but for we were once also once foolish ourselves. 
disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. Point being, Paul is mentioning this sin as a characteristic of the old man, Mm -hmm. not the new man. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to recognize that, that that, that you know, envy is not a part of who we are. That is of the old nature. That's, that's something. And so when we've come to Christ and we're saved by Christ alone and, and we realize what we really deserve is hell and judgment, who are we to sit there and be discontent or envious of another? It's, it's completely foreign. Also, Paul says, and so this is something we need to have on or in our minds, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. And so that idea, First Peter 2, Therefore putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. What's the answer there? Therefore having put all that aside, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Mm-hmm. So there's not going to be any grow, growth if we're given to hypocrisy and guile and envy and slander. Mm-hmm. And those, th- this sin is really a characteristic of those who do not fear God. And so if we're professing to be disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, those called out of this world, it should not characterize us. Uh, Romans 1 um, as I said, it's being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. It's describing the one that is outside of Christ. And then one sin feeds upon another. We've been setting that up, right? When envy, it can lead to abusive speech. It can lead to murder. And Paul um, says in First Timothy 6, uh, verses 3 to 4, um, well, we can just turn to it. I think we're pretty close to it. I want to get the right context here. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, okay, if anyone advocates a different doctrine, does not agree with sound doctrine, he is conceited, he understands nothing, he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And there's a lot that could be said for those who just want to, they just, they flock to controversy. They want to focus, rather than focusing on unity and the things that build up and edify to controversy and cutting down. But the point here is that a rise envy, which leads to strife and then abusive language. And so we need to be those that put sin to death. Speaking of that, envy often, there's one thing that we haven't mentioned, can lead to gossip and slander. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm envious of Marlon's Mm -hmm. beautiful tan... And I, no, 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 but you know, if I'm envious of, of something of, of Marlin, you know, and if I'm desiring, remember we said discontent that desires another's harm, then when I have opportunity, did you hear about Mar- you know this gossip and this slander? And so, you know, I mean, the proverbs are just you know all over the proverbs uh, it speaks against us. He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. And many other proverbs that could be uh, quoted. Um, and then, of course, gossip. And most people think gossip is actually spewing something. It is. But you're participating in gossip if you listen to it. <laughs> so we have just as much of a responsibility to say, wait, wait, wait. Have you talked to Marlon about that yet? I, you know, I, you, it'd be better if you talked to him first before... I listen to what you have to say about Marlon. Do you see what I'm saying? So you're participating in being a gossip by even listening to it. So just to make sure that we're doing the right thing. 
Ultimately, the sin of envy, brethren, leads to frustration and disappointment. There's never any satisfaction. It's, you know, there's never any satisfaction. Even if, like, you're desiring some harm to come to that person, if it ever did come to that person, think of the guilty conscience that could be there as a result. So there's no satisfaction. Um, We can't be satisfied with anything in this life if we're envious. It robs us of our joy The key is to practice biblical contentment. And of course, (laughs) that's that's what follows in the pastoral epistle here, here. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Paul talks about that in Philippians 4. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in and um, to be schooled on that. And so we need to avoid building a pattern of envy and jealousy when we see that, repent of it quickly. Um, another way, if it's somebody, let's just say it's somebody, I mean, hopefully this isn't true, but if if it is, like say somebody within the local church, like a fellow member or a family member, you, I would counsel you to take the opportunity to initiate relationship with that person get to know them get to learn more about them how can i pray for you like actually take a true interest in that person and you're going to see that envy slip away often it occurs because it's the one that sits way back there way up there with the you know or whatever you know but initiate and you, you see that they're a lot like you you know um but repent quickly uh accountability you know, if you're really struggling with this in certain situations, share it with a brother. Um, you know, that can you just pray with me? Keep me accountable in this area. And then let's go back to Galatians where we began and we'll end just by reading the fruits of the Spirit. These are these things that we want to see cultivated within us. These things which we want to encourage one another unto. <clears throat> Gabe, can you read um, Galatians 5, 22 to 24? Fruit of the spirit is joy, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So, fruit of the spirit. These are the things that we need to be focusing on. These are the things we need to be cultivating um, and hating those deeds of the flesh. Any final 